0: Happy New Year. Hope you got everything you wanted for Christmas. Some of you are wearing what you got for Christmas, right? I got these shoes. Huh? Nice. That's not why you're here today. They are just like the other ones. I like them. At the end of the year, um, you see a bunch of um, year-end statistics and surveys, things that happened in the year, uh, and that happened just again in this last week, Um, and the, the list came out of the uh, domestic box office, the top movies of 2018, and if you might have seen it, this is the list. Here's something you're going to notice on that list. Um, of the top 11 grossi- top grossing movies in our country in 2018, seven of them have something to do with superpowers, heroes. You know, uh, seven of them have uh, like a, a special power beyond normal human capacity. Seven out of 11, which matches exactly s- l- 2017, where seven out of the top 11 grossing movies in our country had to do with people being imbued with power beyond their own. The New York Times uh, did an article talking about why are we obsessed with superhero movies? And there's a lot of theories about that. But this is the one that resonated with me because in this uh, opinion, they, this is what it said. If heroes are idealized humans, then today's, meaning those in the movies, reflect an exaggerated what it calls cult of self. They're unique, supremely talented beings who transcend laws, even those of nature. They celebrate exceptionalism and vigilantism. The old American ideal of succeeding through cleverness, virtue, and grit is absent. Gone is respect of the rule of law and the importance of tradition and community. Institutions and human knowledge are useless. Religion is irrelevant. Governments are corrupt and or inept when not downright evil. And listen to this. The empowered individual, the empowered individual is all. And it says that we are allured by something, that we're, we're intoxicated with the idea. We fantasize what it would be like if we possessed some kind of extra power that would set us apart, that would accomplish, that would put us above what other people would do. And I say, oh, gosh, that's just horrible, isn't it? Except that's what I want, too. And, and you've probably been in conversations where people say, if you could choose any super hero to be or any superpower, what would you choose? You ever been asked that question? And I, I know exactly what the answer is. I mean, because people want to fly and they want to be able to see things. They want to be invisible and all that stuff. And I, hands down, I'll just tell you what it is for me. I want invincibility. I want to be able to do what I want to do. No one hurt me. No one stop me because I'm convinced that the world would be a better place if everybody would just listen to me. And if I could just not be stopped and not be hurt, imagine what I could do. Because in my head, I'm just a noble, kind, good person. I would never abuse that power. But give it to me. Oh, just for a day. I'm I'm drawn to that. And and so I live vicariously. And so you, when we see it depicted, what would it be like if somebody had just an extra kind of special ability to accomplish something? And we, we look for that in our world and in our culture, all over the place. I mean, we're always looking for, okay, especially this time of year, this is the diet. All the others were, you know, but this is the one. You get on this one, and this one's gonna turn things around for you. This is the exercise routine. All the other people, they didn't know anything. Jack LaLanne, pff, He doesn't know what we, he didn't know what we know. And if you just do these things, man, you are gonna, it is, it is gonna rock the world. And we're looking for that kind of stuff all the time. We're looking for the exceptional. We want to be exceptional. We listen to the exceptional. We want to see the accomplished. We, we, we want to see that which is more powerful than anything else. That is also true when it comes to your spiritual life, your soul, your, your connection with God. We're always kind of looking for ways we can have just an extra edge. And it's why you get those emails or those posts that say, Pray this prayer for seven days in a row. You do that and watch what happens. And then it gives some story about how that happened. And people say, you know, just go through these exercises or this program or this plan, and you're gonna you're gonna see stuff happen. Now, you and I could look at that and say on the surface, oh yeah, no, that's horrible. But let's be honest, okay? And I'm I'm I will shoot straight with you. I pay attention when I hear those claims. And I'm drawn to the person who's the best-known speaker or the best-known author or the person whose church has grown the fastest. I'm drawn to that. We have conferences where we put those people on the stage and we say, okay, now you're going to learn something because God is with this guy or with this group or with this program and if we can just do what they did, if we can just be like they are, if we can just go through the routines they, we can have what they have. We're Sometimes we're, we're motivated by purity in it. We want to know God better. We want to be stronger for him, and we, but we're drawn to those things. Now, with that mentality, that mentality is true. Now, it was true when the Bible was written. It was true with what you just saw depicted was happening in, a, in the city of Corinth. And, and Paul the apostle dealt with the city of Corinth in the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, dealing with what they, he called the super apostles, those who, and these people discredited him and questioned him and challenged him. And so he writes 2 Corinthians largely kind of defend himself while he's also addressing some of these issues in people. And when he does, he's going to mention the fact that he's self-supporting and he's worked hard and he's got credentials. But, but he's going to reveal something. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to like today's message. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't like today's message. I don't like living it. I don't like looking at it. But he's going to underscore something for us that is so significant about how God, who God is, how he works, and what he's doing in your life, why he's doing it in your life. This has been true of God from the beginning of human history, and it's still true today. Paul is going to expel it out for people. I'm going to give you a phrase that I th- think kind of summarizes this, a couple principles. And here's how I would summarize it. This is what he's going to say to us. God uses the weakened. And God weakens those he uses. It's a consistent thing. It permeates all of 2 Corinthians. I would encourage you, while you're going through this series, I hope that you do this. I hope that you will take time to read through these books. And, and think about them, and I know it goes fast, one a week, but, but do it. And if you do that this week in Second Corinthians, I would encourage you to read Second Corinthians through this lens, because this is, seems to be permeating everything Paul has to say to these folks. And I don't want to hear it, but I need to learn it. And hang with me to the end today, because I th- think you might see that it might turn out Okay. Now he's going to, I'm going to leave that phrase up there and I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible if you have one or access to one. I'm going to read you four passages, forgive me, I'm just going to read them to you quickly. I'm going to, and then these four passages in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to just draw, and keep coming back to the sections of them to see kind of how this is depicted from Paul. So the first one's in 2 Corinthians 1. Let me just start with verse 8. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, Far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I, can, I'm not, I wish I could pack these more, but let that soak in and then turn to chapter 4 and look at verse 5 and following. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we, look at this, have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If you, if you, well, just keep reading. We're hard-pressed on every side. We're but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life may be revealed in our mortal body, so that death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Skip down to verse 16. Therefore we do not lose hearts, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal oh we can talk a lot about this but go to chapter 11 look at verse 18 of chapter 11 since many are boasting in the way uh the world does i too will boast you gladly put up with fools since you're so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you and take advantage of you or pushes you toward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What, what anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers." I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures and concerns of the churches. Who's weak, and I do not feel weak? Who's led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Chapter 12, and you probably, if you've been around church, have heard about this, it's the thorn in the flesh. I must go on boasting. Chapter one, verse 1 says although there's nothing to be gained. He talks then about visions and everything else that he's experienced that you heard in the video. And then in chapter, verse 7, "'To keep me from becoming conceited, "'because of these surpassing great revelations, "'there was given me a thorn in my flesh, "'a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, "'but he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There's a reason I read all that to you, and I hope you didn't just let it go in one ear and out the other because you've heard it before or not entirely sure what it's saying. But I want to, there's a couple principles that Paul has when he writes this. And I want to tell you that 2 Corinthians, it just happened that I was asked to speak today when this book has been a life book of mine, Um, surprisingly so. I've had opportunity to live it. Didn't ask for it, but I've had opportunity to. And so it becomes very passionate to me. And I wish I had more time to share with you. But there are a couple principles here that I want to be, I want to be responsible to share with you. And hope that God will use it in whatever way he does. And here's one of the principles. God's movement and his impact and his power. Now, you probably wouldn't mind haven't seen any of those, right? God's movement and his impact and his power. A lot of us are praying to see some of that in 2019. They are delivered through weakened, unimpressive, ordinary vessels now, Paul had already established this in, first, in the book of the first letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And I believe Rick shared some of these passages last week. First Corinthians 1 says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. Uh, you can just keep reading that. Therefore, it says at the end of it, so that if somebody boasts... Let them boast in the Lord. He went on to say, and again, I think Rick t- talked about this well last week. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So he says this, and he expands on it here. And here's what, here's what God does. This is our maker. This is our creator. I don't fully understand him. I don't always agree with him. I often don't. We have arguments a lot. I never win them, but he lets me argue. I don't know why he chooses to do this, but this is what he has done. He says, I'm going to display my power. I'm going to work in the world. I'm even going to work in your life. And when he does, he chooses the weak to be his instruments. He allows his instruments to be weakened. And get this. He causes his instruments to be weakened. Hang on to that one. He chooses the weak. He chooses what's already weak to be his instruments. And then, so you see this. Now, I'm going to just keep referring back to these four passages a lot. So this was, you saw this phrase in 1 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure, the power of God, the presence of God, the connection with God, we carry it around in what he calls jars of clay pottery clay, is what he's talking about, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When he uses that phrase, jars of clay, he's referring to something that are clay pots, and you see them in excavations and things. Here's what commentator said about clay pots. Clay pots were the throwaway containers of the ancient world. I was going to say they were like Tupperware, except Tupperware is much better than that. Man, that Tupperware stuff, that'll last. This is like the doggy bags. This is like the take-home, styrofoamy stuff. It's just there to get something from one place to another, and then it gets pitched. Then it gets recycled. Then it gets sent. This is what the commentator says. No one took note of clay jars any more than he would a fast food container. They were simply there for convenience. It was no great tragedy when such vessels were broken. They were cheap and easy to replace. God chooses those kinds of carriers to be the instrument of the most powerful displays on earth to be carriers of the most significant message he ever wants to deliver to mankind. I don't get that, but that's what he does. So he will choose vessels that are already jars of clay. We're carrying around in jars of clay. He chooses the weak. Now, here's the other thing. He doesn't just choose the weak to be his instruments. He allows those who are his instruments to be weakened. You saw this is in chapter 11. I just read you the whole thing, all the, all the stuff that Paul endured. If God was putting together a brochure and said, come serve me. Hey, come, hey, oh, I got a life for you. You want to you see some cool stuff happen? Sign up to be on my team. This, is, this would be what he would have in the brochure. I would read that brochure and I would say, yeah, not so much. I don't want to sign up for this. This is how you treat your friends? The people who sacrifice, the people who say they commit themselves, the people who walk forward at services and say, I'm all in. The people who stand and kneel and worship and say, sing what we just sang a little bit ago. I'm yours. Do what you want in my life. This is what they get to experience. And God says, yeah, this is what I do. I weaken those instruments. I allow them to be weakened. I allow things to happen to them that come into their life that make them not so Strong anymore. I could go much longer in this, but let me just say this too: When God calls people into ministry, you know, one of the first things He typically does is He takes away the very giftings they thought qualified them for it. He allows those giftings to be laid. Out. Now, sometimes it's permanent, sometimes it's temporary, but He'll He'll discredit those. He'll put those to the side. And I thought I thought that's what you needed, God. I thought you wanted my skills. No. Now, I'm going to allow them to be weakened. I'm going to allow them to be in a weakened state. And then, and then he goes so far, as we could say it this way, he causes. He doesn't just allow stuff to happen. He actually dictates that it happen. I mean, look, did you see this in First Corinthians 12? to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. God sent it. I don't even know the theology of all that. Oh, I've studied it. I don't fully understand how God would command a messenger of Satan to weaken one of his chosen vessels. But that's what he did, and he did it consistently through Scripture. He caused them to weaken. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be weakened by 40 days of fasting. The Holy Spirit did that. No, you go get weakened. If you're gonna see God work in your life, understand this is what you're signing up for. Have I lost you yet? (laughs) If you've said about 2019, God, I want to see you move in my life. I want to see you accomplish things in me, and I want to see me do things through me. Do you understand? Now, here's what I want, I want to make sure you hear. God is not a sadist. He is not evil when he does that. God is doing that because he desperately loves you. He cherishes you. Let me show you what, what I mean when I say that. Because there's a reason behind what God does that. Here's one of the reasons God does that. It protects us. God knows something about us. And this has to do with a thing the Bible calls doxa, which is translated glory. Some, there's, a, there's a thing called glory that happens that when, when God accomplishes things. It's elevated praise and honor. It's credit, credit for what's accomplished. It's the accompanying splendor that goes with uh, displays of goodness and power. Doxa is a, is a huge thing. And here's the thing. Doxa is intrinsic to God, and it's deadly to humans. You and I are not intended to absorb doxa, glory. If we do, it will destroy us. But there's something that's true about doxa, about glory. Glory is seductive. Glory is addictive. And glory is deadly. We are susceptible when we're involved or being, especially if God's power is flowing in and around us. Did you hear the new song? We're standing in your glory. We're getting close to the glory of God, but God knows something about us. He knows that glory is intoxicating to us. It's appealing to us. We kind of like the feel of having some glory. But you know this as well as I do. Especially in young people. When young people get glory young, it messes them up. Celebrity, power, notoriety, money and what it can buy. Anytime you see a young celebrity who is elevated, you need to pray for them. Because it is the rare exception that somebody is in the middle of that, surrounded by the potential of glory, and it doesn't really mess them up. They're in therapy for years. They're self-destructive. They make choices that the rest of us, we we can't help. We watch TMZ to watch it happen in front of us. We don't, but it's horrible. God knows, oh, it's not just that. It it happens there, but you know what? You and I are susceptible. It is a toxin if we ingest glory. So God says, I'm going to choose to display my glory. I want you to benefit from my glory accomplishments, but I need you to protect you from yourself because you're going to be prone to ingest it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce um, antigens into your soul that will prevent the sickness. And it's because God loves you that he installs these protective measures to guard against ingesting so so this so do you see these passages we just read we have these treasures in jar of clay to show us that the all-surpassing power is from god and not from us chapter 1 verse 9 indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but this happened so we might not rely on ourselves but on god chapter 10 says, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord, it's quoting the Old Testament, before it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I used to get the flu every single uh, winter. I, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. I was out with people all the time, and I would get the flu every single winter. And this is years and years ago, and I finally gave up. I said, this is long before they told everybody to get a flu shot. So I would go to like some supermarket where it was me and all the AARP people. And there are a bunch of, God love them, octogenarians, and then me, the youth pastor, standing in the line to get a flu shot. And the reason I did that every year, and still do it every year, is because this is what would happen. I would have the flu. I would be laid out on my back. I would be miserable. I'd be running to the bathroom every five minutes. It would just be horrible. And it hit me, the question. I thought, why didn't I get a flu shot? Why didn't I get a flu shot? And I thought, well, because it costs too much. That's why I didn't until I started and then, then I thought, okay, if, if when I had the flu, somebody said, you give me $10 right now or $20, whatever, and I will go back in time and get you a flu shot so you don't have the flu, would that, be, would that be worth that money to you? I was like, sign me up. When you have the flu, really have the flu, you will spend far more than that to instantly not have the flu. So why not spend it before you get it so you don't get it? By introducing the antigen, you're warding off the toxic effects. And that's what God, because he loves you so much, does with you and me. He will say, I'm going to introduce these things in your life. You're not going to like the shot. You're not going to like spending it, the cost of it. But I'm doing you a favor. Trust me, I'm doing you a favor. I'm protecting you from yourself. God does that with his instruments. It's because he loves us. Here's the other thing. Here's the other reason God does this. He does it because it accomplishes profound things that we can't see on the surface. It accomplishes something for us. We already saw it. It it protects us from our own poisons. But you know what else it does? It accomplishes something. When God weakens us, it accomplishes something in us. It develops something in us. This is chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, meaning we become sufferers, so also through Christ, something else overflows. He uses the word comfort there. The capacity to have something develop within us that gives us a personal kind of strength. If we are distressed, it's for our comfort and salvation. See, he says there's something that's happening. There's a perspective that comes in us when God allows that to happen. If we are comforted, it is for our comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Just as you share in the weakening that happens, you share in something that it develops within you. A capacity to know God better. To have perspective on your life better. To have a strength in your character. Let me ask you this question. When you think back, you do a little inventory of your life to this point, and you think of the times, the seasons of your life where you say, in, when I look back, that's when I really, really grew in my relationship with God. What was going on in your life that is attached to that? I would venture a guess that for the vast majority of the things that come to your mind right now, they're attached to a really really tough season, right? A time when you heard medical news that you didn't want. A time when there was a death in the family, a time when your marriage ended, a time when your children rebelled, a time when your finances were struggling. There was something and in the moment as you were living as you were living it, if we could interview at that moment, you probably had no sense at all that I'm growing. You just felt weak, right? You felt lost. You felt hopeless. You felt like this could not possibly be redeemed or go anywhere. And then you get to up, down the road a little bit and you look back and you say, Boy, I really grew in that time. I know things about how God works that change me now based on what happened as I went through that. Is that not true of you? I know it's true of me. And I would swear to you when I was going through those things, I did not sense God's presence. I did not feel his arms around me. I did not have him saying verbal things to me to give me hope. I just felt separated and lost and alone. There was a comfort, though, that emerged deep within me that now can pour over into others. God does what he does because it does something in us. And then he does it so that he can do something through us. Here's chapter 4. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. There's something that's happening through you. There are people watching you go through this, there are people who are being affected by it. And God, his power shows up when we don't think anything is happening. Something's happening through us. Chapter 12 verse 9 says to me, he said to me my grace is sufficient to you for my power is made perfect. It's, it's, be, it's maturing. It's being displayed in the midst of your weakness. Understand this. The Apostle Paul had skills. You heard some of them mentioned in the video. Oh, he was accomplished. He, he was an intellectual. He, oh, he knew what he was doing. He had, he had a reputation. But get this. That's not why he was chosen. And those weren't the source of his spiritual power in other people's lives. I'm going to tell you a little weird thing about being a, a, a pastor and a public speaker. This, is just, this has been true for me my whole life. And probably if you ask others, it would, they'd say it's true for them. This hap- it's, it's uncanny how this happens. When I get done... I always pray before I I have an opportunity to share God's word with anybody, did it today, that God would fill me with his spirit, that he would use me for his purposes, that I would decrease and he would increase, that people would not remember me, they would remember him, they would be drawn to his truth. I always pray that. Sometimes I actually mean it. (laughs) On the occasions when I've been at a conference or a session or something, you know, a Big crowd or whatever, and I got off the stage, and I thought, man, I killed it today. I was on today. That was really good. And then I go to my wife, go, what would you think today? Because I'm just going, come on come on, come on, come on, feed my ego. On those occasions, people will thank me, and they'll be very nice about it. And almost invariably, I do not hear a single report of anything transforming that happened in somebody's life. Now, it might, but I just don't, I'm not aware of it. And this is so weird. There are times, and there are multiple times, I get done and I go, oh my goodness, that was the worst thing that has been ever said. I could not put two sentences together. I was stumbling. I had no idea what I was doing. I was lost. I was, that was miserable. And I, want, I just want to go hide. And then they make you stand at the door and shake hands so people can say things they don't mean. You know, I, when that happens, when I get, when I get done those are the times I get the notes or I hear the feedback when God allows it. And people say, God spoke to me. Oh, that was, that was significant in my life. And I go, are you kidding me? I don't even know what I said. How could you know what I said? And that is not just once or twice it happens. That is a consistent thing that I'm grateful for and I never quite get used to. And if you ask me from the depths of my soul, I don't want to have happen. I don't want a bomb so that God can be elevated. It's just not my, is, I'm a sinner. But that's what God does. That's what he said. It's in your weakness that, that, that is perfected. Now, hang on because this goes a step further. This is where it's really, you're not going to like me after this, but this is what's true. That phrase I gave you at the beginning Here's the second principle of that, is that God doesn't just weaken his chosen instruments and subsequently reward them with strength. Please listen to this. He continues to introduce further weakening agents to keep them in a state of perpetual weakness. See, I can reluctantly accept this whole thing. Okay, God's protecting me from my glory, from His glory. So I, I can I can understand that he, he He wants to work with me. So He's going to weaken me, um, but I expect the payoff. He's going to weaken me for a while so that I can become stronger. It's like working out. It's like I can weight resistance training. Okay, I can tear down the muscle fibers through exercise because I know when it's done, my body's going to repair it. And as a result, I will be stronger than when I started. I get that. That's the way I want. But when we do that, we misread 2 Corinthians 12, which is one of the most common phrases that comes out of here. That is why for Christ's sake I delighted weaknesses in insults and hardships in persecutions in difficulties because he says this and the grammar of this is very clear when I am weak then I am strong. We misread that to say after I've been weakened I will be made strong. Do you see the difference? after sufficient weakening, God is going to give me this strength. No, he says, no, no, it is, Paul says, it is in, during my state of weakness that there's something could be said strength present with me. It is, get this, it is never your strength, ever. It's never my strength. God is not going to make me strong. He's going to keep me weak. He's going to perpetuate my weakness so that He can flow through me while I'm weak. Don't just take it from that passage. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 4. See this? We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. That doesn't mean the memory of the death of Jesus. That means the effects of the dying that Jesus introduces into our lives. We're always carrying around that so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Look at the next verse, verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Chapter 12, verse 9, look at this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. And look at that next phrase. So that Christ's power may rest on me, not make me strong. His power will rest on me. A whole lot of us, this happens every year, doesn't it? We get to the start of the new year, and we have resolutions, we have hopes, and what we say is, it's not uncommon for us to say, boy, last year was a rough year. I mean, that's probably, a whole lot of us would say, "What was 2018 for you. There might have been some good things. It was a rough year. And we're ready to turn the corner and we say, man, I'm really hoping 2019 is going to be a better year. Want it to be a better year. We want it to make a stronger year. And then we wind up using phrases like this. How are you doing? You know, it's always something. Ever use that phrase? It's always something. You know what? It's one thing after another if it's not one thing it's another we always keep waiting for the payoff for it to get better this is why you're not going to like this 2019 is if god loves you he's probably not going to make it all that much better than 2018 now i hope that you have healing i hope that you have good things happen but understand you know what there's some new stuff waiting Oh, is this, a, this is a terrible message, isn't it? Oh, we're going to go out there and it, the world's going to collapse on us. But you know what? You can count on this. If God is alive and active and does what he always does, he's going to let new stuff come, and it's going to weaken us some more. You don't even know what it is yet. Neither do I. And a note to leaders. You want to be a leader in your family? You want to be a leader in the church? It's even worse for you. I don't have it here but in Acts where where it was like Paul the apostle got chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles and God speaks to the to the man who's caring for him and says, "Yeah. But understand, I will show him how much he must suffer." Now, he's not doing that in retribution because he was a Christian hunter at one time. He's not doing it in punishment. No, his punishment's been absorbed by the cross of Jesus. He's been freed. He's completely been accepted. You know, well, then why is he doing it? Because I've chosen him to be a leader. You look at it through scripture, the leaders are the ones who suffer most. And it's true in our world and in our culture, leaders are the ones who suffer most. It's not because God is dastardly or he doesn't like you or he's trying to show you that he's better than you. It's because he's protecting you and loves you and is blessing us to be his carriers. Now, there are some implications to this, and I'll just touch on them quickly. And we're going to celebrate communion this morning, and I have the privilege of introducing that for you and with you. Um, and it's no better way, I think, to start a year than to reflect on the life and the death of Jesus on our behalf. Here, here are the implications of what God has, chooses to do. First, there's some implications about those who claim the special powers or the impressive abilities, And can I just say this? This is going to be important for Foothills Church as you look for a new pastor because you're going to be drawn to look for the flashy or the ones with a track record that is huge, the ones who have just set the world on fire. Be careful about that. Beware those who present or claim or focus on their superior ways or their skills or their secrets or their exclusive approaches. You, you, You know them. Watch out for the people who are quick to drop the names, the people they've been with, the people they know, who they hang out with, who they used to work with. Be careful of the people who who find ways to read you the resume. Oh, they'll do it in subtle ways, but it just comes up where they've traveled and what they've done and what their degree is and what their accomplishments are. Be careful of that. Be careful of the people who lead with numbers and stats, people who, when they talk about their past experience, they talk about, well, I took a church from 75 and it became 450 or whatever. Be careful. But isn't that the way God measures? I mean, don't we want to see impact? Isn't that the way God measures impact? No. First, second green these four. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far awaits them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Not on what is seen, not just the circumstances, but all the outcomes that people present to us, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And, and hey, boy, watch out, buckle up, because when Paul talks about these people, he does not mince words. Look at what he says. I'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading apostles of christ and no wonder for satan himself masquerades as an angel of light it's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness their end will be what their actions deserve you might have heard that last part of that phrase sometime talking about the servants of satan you know who paul's talking about he's talking about people who claim to be jesus servants man that's some strong language let, let this change our perspective on who we give platforms to, who we give credibility to, who we invite to lead us, or whose systems we adopt. But more than that, let's have this truth change our view on what ha- how we look at it when we're weakened and when we see weakening agents in our lives. Because this is, okay, this is where I'm going to hope to pull you back. This is, where, this is what's true of your God, God knows and guarantees that what's weakening you will never, ever ultimately destroy you. Hear that. It does not have the capacity. He and His sovereign power will not allow it. It's not accomplishing the purpose of destroying you. Look at at how Paul says this. I mean, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 4. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. One commentator, he he put it this way, I love this. He says, we're squeezed, but not squashed, bewildered, but not befuddled, pursued, but not abandoned, knocked down, but not knocked out. And that is true for you. What is weakening you right now does not have the capacity. God won't let it destroy you. And God is accomplishing a privileged purpose through it. You don't have to see it yet, but it is going to be accomplished. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And it will always always proved to be worth it. Do I've time what time we got? I, I I'm going to tell you a story, a, a guy I worked with. He was I was at the a mega church on staff and he was our college pastor. His name's Mike. And Mike was this gifted guy. I mean, everything he touched he was good at. He's good looking, played the guitar expertly, he was a great basketball player. He's just a great leader. I mean, just and and just really great sense of humor. Mike was 31 years old. He was working out at the gym. He collapsed after the workout. He did not respond. They took him to the hospital, and they found out that he had had a genetic brain um, a problem. with a, he, had, he, had, he had a, a cerebral hemorrhage. No, no symptoms ever before this. And suddenly, his brain is swelling. He's unconscious. They call his wife, and they say, Mike is going to die. 31 years old, boom, like that. We're all gathered around it. We have no idea what's going on. And they're working on him, and they're wondering whether they should open his brain in order to to relieve the pressure. Anyway, he he doesn't die. They're able to relieve the pressure, and he begins to recover. And they said to him, Mike, you have a choice now. You're going to recover, which is amazing. But this thing is a time bomb. It's a genetic problem. It's not going to go away. And it could happen again. And if it happens again, it will kill you. Or you could have this very risky surgery. And the surgery, we could could try to contain this. If you wake up from the surgery and you live, chances are very high you will have some paralysis. Not a lot of good options. He prays. He talks to his wife. He's got young kids. He decides to do the surgery. He lives through the surgery. And sure enough, the left side of his body won't function. His face begins to droop. He had to eventually get his eyes sewn closed because his eye could not keep moisture in it enough. He has no capacity to to use. He can't play basketball. He can't play guitar. He can't pick up his kids. And Mike continues to function. He's got a speech impediment because his mouth doesn't form the words very well. And he goes on and serves God and we kind of went our own ways because he, he took a different position and I went to plant to church. But I kept in touch with Mike and about probably three to five years later, I was with Mike and I, and I, had, I, I wanted a, a real honest conversation with him. I said, Mike, wh- if you could go back, would you do this? He said, Tom, not only would I do the surgery, he said, if I could go back and you could ask me whether or not I could have it healed before it ever happened, he said, I would tell you I would decline that. Because, he said, through that weakening, God exposed things in me that I never saw in myself. God drew close to me and reformed my, where my hope is and where my, where my worth is found with him. And I can't do most of what I could do before, but I've seen God do stuff in my life and through me that I would not trade for anything. I would go back. I, I would not trade this disease for health. And I said, Mike, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. He said, I know. But he said to me, when God chooses whatever he chooses to weaken you, I have a feeling you're going to draw the same conclusions. And I will tell you today that I don't know what 2019 holds for me personally. I don't know what's ahead. I don't want bad things to happen to me or to you. But I know the things that have weakened me over, since that time 20-some years ago with Mike. And I will tell you that I can't believe I'm saying it. But I would choose them again. Again. because there is a grace and a presence that comes there's a, uh, an impact that's made through that that there is no way I could experience any other way that is how God works that is how he is working that is what he's doing what is it that's weakening you right now what is it that you desperately wish wasn't there that you desperately want to go away could, you, could I encourage you don't bail out on it because that is how God is working in your life. He is using it. He will use it. Let him. It is through the suffering of Jesus that we have life. It is through the suffering that we have that God works, continues to work in our lives. Let's talk to him. I don't begin to know, Father, what we brought in with us today. But I want to ask that you would make the, the words we've read and heard about not just words but realities where we live that somehow in the midst of the weakening and even the thing that might happen this coming week or a month from now, that you would draw to our minds the truth that you're in that, that you're good in the middle of it that you're going to accomplish something, that life comes and your glory flows through us, we get to be part of it when the, by being those chosen instruments of weakening. Make that true for us today about the things we are carrying and tomorrow the things we will. And now, Lord, as we pause and we enter 2019, not sure what's ahead, we want to look back. And together, would you enable us to just enter into a moment where we say, we reconnect with you in your presence. We say, we celebrate your life and your sacrifice. Make this time of, of that celebration a real time where we connect with you. We, we see you cleanse out the things that have cluttered our lives and we say we start afresh with you until the time we see you face to face. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.